fashion. This is all in for the love of the game. This is Love Set Match. Andre Agassi had this goal, you don't have to be better than everyone else in the draw when you go out on the court. Like, you have to be better than someone that's across the net. I think you got to stay active in a sport sense, you know, go out there, do some sports. I think it always makes you feel better, maybe you're more tired in the very moment, but actually the rest of the day feels better. And then I think giving back as well, you know, making other people happy is going to give you a good feeling too. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. As you know, Tennis Pal Chronicles is sponsored by Tennis Pal, which is a great app you can download for Android or iPhone and find people to play with. Uh, yes. Play tennis, of course. And with me is my wonderful dear friend, co-host Valerie Garcia. How are you, Valerie? Philip, good morning. I am well. How are you? It's great to hear your voice. I'm doing good. Uh, we're heading towards Thanksgiving. I can't believe that we're at that time of year again. It's kind of crazy. This year has definitely... Well, I feel like every year is like goes by so fast. Yeah. And you were just telling me you got your booster shot. I did. I did. I don't want to tell any horror stories to anyone who scare anybody away. <laughs> but I'm, feel- so I'm feeling great of- today. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least both of us now have uh, all three shots and hopefully uh, clear sailing from here for both of us. Yes, I'm excited to, you know, it's just nice before the holidays and I see my family. It's an extra layer of feeling of security. Sure. Yeah. Well, I wanted to give an update on our last episode. If you want to listen back to our last episode, we talked about Grand Slam champion Peng Shui, the Chinese former uh, number one doubles player, also a gold medalist, I believe. And we released breaking news that she had put out on social media, Chinese social media, Weibo, that she had been forced into an affair with the vice prime minister of China. It was just a terrible situation, kind of a a me too moment. And unfortunately, since that time, since that posting, Peng Shui has not been heard of since. People have been trying to find her, have been reaching out to her. There's actually a hashtag on Twitter, hashtag where is Peng Shui? And people are demanding the WTA look into it. Uh, You know, anyone who's involved in tennis, any tennis journalist, why aren't they doing more to find her and find out what's happening? Because unfortunately, this kind of thing happens in China. We really wish her the best and don't want anything terrible to happen to her. So any thoughts on that, Valerie? Uh, I just echo your sentiments, you know, wish her the best. Hope we hear something about her soon. It's really sad and unfortunate. The whole situation, and I just hope, I hope it's just a matter of trying to keep her quiet at the moment, but that she's safe, you know? Yeah, and and China, of course, has a history of silencing dissent and and squelching any kind of outbursts which make them look bad in the public eye. And this being someone who is very close to the top, in the Chinese politics, obviously, uh, has come to the attention and, and kind of given China a black, black eye. So 
really, really, really hoping that she is okay, that she will reappear soon. But I hope that you guys will search uh, Peng Shui and try to find more about this. And hopefully we can kind of make a stand for her and make sure that she is protected because this is the the worst kind of abuse in, in my understanding, especially to someone as well-known as she is. Uh, we talked about how in the last podcast, if she wasn't well-known, I mean she would have been long disappeared and no one would know, right? Yep. So we don't want that to happen. We certainly don't. Wish you all the best. Yeah. Uh, and then in our own tennis, uh, how have you been doing? Have you been playing very much? Oh my God. Uh, you know, I haven't. Um, I haven't. And I've been thinking about getting on the Tennis Pal app, honestly, because I was like, I want to play. Or I was thinking about your live ball. I was like, I wonder if I could reschedule my Wednesday thing that I do every Wednesday because I'm just like, I'm just dying to get out on the court. It's been a while for me. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. I, I do have a new class called Hot Shots and it's kind of on that live ball concept and we're doing match play uh, without a serve, similar to live ball, but really coaching people through what it feels like to play with tension. You know, how do you continue to improve as you're playing a point and trying to win and have all the emotion and the energy of you know, the stress of that moment and, and still make the point, right? Because that's, I think what we see as the greatest champions. And one of the reasons that I love Roger Federer so much was that he was so clutch, right? And you have, you have to think of Djokovic when you think clutch as well, right? Yeah, certainly nowadays it feels like, like not to go down that hole, but it feels like there's been quite a few uh, titles ripped from Roger's hands by Djokovic's clutch returns. <laughs> it's true. It's true, yeah. But, uh, I mean, just to have that wonderful strength and mental fortitude and be known for being clutch is is pretty impressive, and I think that's what we're all trying to get to. And a lot of that is maybe some personality of the person, but a lot of it can be practicing clutch moments and putting yourself under pressure and being able to still control your body, right? Yes, you hope because it's it's like the nerves, right, in the moment that really get to someone, cause that tension in the yeah. arm. Yeah, and <laughs> that reminds me of that uh, U.S. Open, which had the most tension I've oh, ever the seen. Oh, the team, <laughs> the team and Zverev, your favorite? <laughs> team Zverev, oh my gosh. They could not serve to save their life. It was just incredible, like 60-mile-an-hour serves, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it was tension, but I was watching the WTA Tour Finals in Guadalajara are on right now, and there's been some amazing yeah. tennis. I was watching Sabalenka and Sviantec last night, and Sabalenka yeah. must have double-faulted like 18 or 20 times, and she still somehow uh -huh. won the match. <laughs> but I kept, but it was such a high pressure because who you know um, I think whoever lost well if Shvantek lost she was knocked out if if Sabalenka lost she was you know hanging on by a thread she needed she needed help and wins to stay yeah. in yeah. so I think there was just so much tension that she just kept oh double faulting and then yeah I don't know I feel like. I feel like for me, that's the the worst nightmare. Like if you if you're spraying shots everywhere, that sucks. But like double faulting is the worst. 
when it becomes yeah. a and I think she normal thing. I did watch some of the highlights of that. I thought it was impressive hitting and Swiatek took that first set very easily. Was so strategic in her play. But what I, what I think put so much pressure on Sabalenka was that Swiatek was taking those returns and putting them out of uh, reach for Sabalenka. So she kept feeling like she had to hit harder and harder on her serve, which I think created those double faults. But she also had some amazing first serves. Oh, yeah, especially when she served out the match. Like every serve in that game was, it was like night and day. And that's that's clutch, right? That's clutch. That is clutch. Like when it really counted and it was her moment to serve out the set. Those twenty double yeah. faults. I'm I'm making up a number, so don't quote me on that. I, at one point, she was at sixteen. I knew that, and and I feel like I saw a few more after that. So, but yeah, when she was serving for it, uh, all those double faults out of her brain, and she just dropped some bombs. She really did. She was uh, serving incredibly well, and it was really cool to see her you know, hang on and, and, and the victory celebration she had too was kind of amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was, vo- I was voting. I was, I voted. Uh, they did not count my vote. I rooted for Sviantek because I wanted more of the drama of three people still being alive. Uh, because if, if Sabalenka won, then Sviantek was knocked out. But if Sviantek oh, won, yeah. then everybody was still mathematically alive. I just, which means yeah. there would have been no dead rubber match so i was just kind of rooting for that but it's all good sabalenka she deserves some happiness so good for her (laughs) yeah and speaking of pressure i mean sviantek you know after that french win french open grand slam win it's it's been hard to reproduce that grand slam winning run right yeah so i I can't even imagine what it feels like when everybody's expecting you to be there, you know, that high, high expectation and, you know, that added pressure beyond what already is in a tennis match. Yeah, I was before before this call, I was just listening to the tennis podcast and they were talking about some things from the press conferences. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm unable, unable to find the press conferences for a lot of these tournaments that aren't majors. Um, so I'm not privy to, to that information. I haven't got my press card yet. So, <laughs> but one day, Philip, we're going to have, we're, we're working on, we're going to have our press passes and we'll be, right. we'll be in there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they were, they were saying things that like Sabalenka, the match before that she had lost to Sakari, I believe, um, she had said she just kind of gave up. And so this match, she was like really dead set on fighting. She was like, do not give up again. Um, she never wants to give up again. She felt like it it just didn't feel good. Um, yeah. And then Fiontech had also given comments because I don't know if her previous match, actually her previous match was against Sakari for sure. She was like she crying. Won, which was really surprising to me. Oh, Fiontech lost. You mean Sakari won was surprising to you? Oh, I thought Fiontech beat Sakari. Svantec one has no wins in this tournament so far. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's how she got eliminate, eliminated. Oh, but she okay. was gotcha. she was winning. She was doing great. And then Sakari came back and won. And when Sakari was serving for the match, Svantec was like got a time violation because she on match point she was turned around and she was like visibly sobbing, like crying. Oh, and uh oh. it was it was hard to see. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that hurts. 
So that that was another reason I think I really was hope, pulling for her against Savalenka because I didn't. Uh, I was yeah, like, oh, this poor, the, yeah, this poor girl. But you know, it happens. See, that's what a beautiful giving heart you have, and that's why you take care of all those wonderful pets that you have. <laughs> yes, for any, <laughs> anyone listening, find any strays. <laughs> well, speaking of clutch, uh, I mean, we have the honor of interviewing. Someone who is one of the most clutch doubles player in history. Uh, Gigi Fernandez is featured on our podcast today. And what an honor to feature her. And what I love uh, about this interview is just being able to hear from her about her historic run as a doubles player and just kind of what tennis was like during her days because I think we move on so quickly in our modern generation and one of the reasons I love Roger Federer is that he honors uh, Rod Laver so much right with the new Laver Cup and just understanding history I think he's really a student of the game and I wish that more tennis players were really honoring people like Gigi Fernandez you know I work with Rosie Casals in fact Rosie is in Guadalajara for this tournament oh how cool she just sent yeah, she just sent me a picture and some some info about it. But just the idea, you know, people like Billie Jean King, all of these incredible champions who, and I feel like pretty soon it's going to be Serena and Venus, right? It's going to be, they're going to be remembered in that way as well. And we just need to keep holding on to all of these incredible tennis players, not only the top, but even the people who were like giving them the challenge throughout history. It's really cool to understand that history. I really enjoy that part. Totally. I uh, one of the things I love so much about doing the podcast with you is that you are so good at bringing the history to light. Well, yeah, not me, but I think that there is so much history to talk about, and it's great that we get to do that together. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Gigi Fernandez and her career. She turned professional in 1983, and one of the cool aspects of her career is that she was the first Puerto Rican to be inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Really kind of stood out as a person of color that was playing tennis in a time when there were very few. Yes. Fernandez won 17 Grand Slam doubles titles and two Olympic gold medals. What a career that is. Wow. And she, yeah, she was representing the United States, of course, but you know, being a person from Puerto Rico, you really feel like she's representing Puerto Rico as a separate country in a way because she's so proud of being Hispanic and and she's so proud of being a representative of Puerto Rico. She reached world number one ranking in women's doubles and she had a career high singles ranking of 17 that she reached in 1991. So what what an amazing career that she's had. And, you know, we don't hear enough about her. It's so true because I obviously, as a tennis fan, I, I'm very familiar with her as a tennis player and doubles, but I had no clue she won 17 Grand Slams. That's insane. That's a lot of Grand Slams. Yeah, kind of a couple of fun tidbits. We talk about uh, how at the Olympic Games that she played in Barcelona and Atlanta, she had actually teamed up with Mary Jo Fernandez, who is no relation, but you know it was Fernandez Fernandez winning Olympic gold, which is probably pretty historic, I think. Yes. And their first gold medal was actually won against up-and-coming uh, players uh, Conchita Martinez and and Arancha Sanchez Vacario. Am I saying that right? Yeah, sounded and great. 
Thanks. I'm I'm doing my best. <laughs> and Vicario and Martinez obviously were someone who probably were looking up to uh, Gigi Fernandez as, you know, someone who represented Hispanics and was playing tennis. And, you know, the, there was very few in that circle. So uh, what what an honor to be able to play in such an all-Hispanic Olympic tennis championship. I think that's kind of a cool moment, right? Yes. Uh, not something that comes along every day. Not not often enough, that's for sure. Yeah. But and that you know, reminds- as an American, I'm glad we got I'm glad we got the better of that one there. Exactly. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of Juliana Olmos, who we interviewed and how she, you know, was basically raised here in the United States but represents Mexico. And uh, I think that interview is worth listening to. So if you haven't listened to it already, it's um on season two, episode nine, and she talks about being one of the first Mexican and to play and win a Masters 1000. And, um, you know, she's playing doubles now and she's doing really well. I think she's in Guadalajara right now too. Oh, nice. I didn't, I did not know that. But I definitely, I love that episode. I love that we're for His- Hispanic Heritage Month. We're looking into these things with Hispanic heritage myself. You know, I'm always looking for that Mexican, well, because my Hispanic heritage is Mexican. So I'm always looking for the Mexican flag when I'm rooting for players. And I don't get to see it very often. Um, but I would love to see any any Hispanic heritage is just so great. I, I love seeing it. And I think I made a joke a, a, another time um, about like seeing Gar- Caroline Garcia and being like, yes, Garcia. Oh, but she's French. No. <laughs> <laughs> But I still, I still like my namesake. My namesake. I'm like, oh, Caroline Garcia. So I'm still always going to root for you, you know. Um, and so it's nice to see the Fernandez and and all of that, right? It's just, it's yeah. just good to be to feel um, like you're part of, um, and and that you're represented, right? Um, and so I love that you're you're doing this with these players, and that we're getting to bring to light that that they are out there and. Um, and the more successful they are, hopefully in the future, the more we'll see it. That makes yeah, me excited. I think it, you bring up a great point in that young kids can see themselves in these champions. And if they can identify culturally um, how great it is for them to be able to connect with their culture and and have a sense of pride and know that someone that's just like them can rise to the top and become a champion. Yes. Yeah, and thanks for, thanks for reminding me that today our interview really comes courtesy of the USTA Diversity and Inclusion Committee, and it was recorded at Indian Wells during the push for Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, which was actually September, I think September 15th to October 15th. So uh, this interview came courtesy of my friends Lorena Martin and Esther Hendershot, and they made this possible. So really shout out to them. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Just one little cool trivia that I found uh, as I was researching Gigi Fernandez that I wanted to share with you is that she has a connection with Hollywood. What's that? That's, that <laughs> does sound interesting. I'm like, I'll bring it on. I want to hear. I know. This is so random, but very cool. So I guess her cousin is Jose Ferrer. And Jose Ferrer was a very famous Puerto Rican actor and director in Hollywood. He was also the first Hispanic to receive an Academy Award. What? 
Um, and so she has that direct connection to the academies, uh, being a cousin of Jose Frere. And then Frere nice. actually was married to famous actor and beautiful singer, Rosemary Clooney. So you got to think White Christmas, right? Uh-huh. And uh, so that makes, um, that makes George Clooney her uncle. Wow. So Jose Ferrer was George Clooney's uncle. There it is. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Hey, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty neat that uh, she not only is part of tennis history, but also a part of our historic um, heritage in the movies and, and the story of Hollywood as well. Yes, for sure. I think I remember you mentioning another fun little tidbit about her um, license plate. Uh, just, yes, so, just so everyone right. could follow her around town. No. <laughs> hey, there goes Gigi. <laughs> I heard Fellow and Valerie talking about her license plate. What was something like, uh, what was it? Dub- doubles gold or something? Du- that's right. Doubles gold. Good memory. Yeah. So she, because she has two Olympic medals, and who wouldn't be proud of that, right? She actually has those two medals on her desk, but she also has a license plate on her car that says D-B-L-G-L-D, so double gold. I mean, that's nice. I would be super proud, too, if I had double gold. Yeah, and hopefully, like, there's, like, a gold gold frame, like, license plate frame with little ten- tennis balls and yeah. rackets on it or something. <laughs> I, and I've got to think that there are very few, if any, tennis players that actually have two Olympic gold medals. I can't even think of one. I can't either. I I guess Serena and Venus. I feel like may have one. Yeah, du- more than one doubles have, together. Yeah, they definitely have doubles gold for sure. And, and I feel like maybe the Bryan brothers, but of course, there maybe. you go. Good but, call uh, on that but, one. But beyond those two, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of curious now. I'm gonna look that up when we get off this call. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have to do that. So we'll leave you to this interview with Gigi Fernandez, courtesy of the USTA, and uh, we just really appreciate uh, the conversation that she had with uh, Lorena Martin and Esther Hendershot uh, and allowing us to rebroadcast it here on Tennis Pal Chronicles. So thanks, Valerie, for helping me introduce this awesome little interview. And you can follow Gigi Fernandez on her Instagram as well, Gigi Fernandez Tennis 17, the number 17. Uh, on Instagram and, and follow along with her there. Let's listen. I grew up in an island at 100 miles by 35. When I was a little girl growing up in Puerto Rico in the 60s, I didn't have a role model. And that made it my path very difficult. I didn't have somebody I could look up to and say, I want to be like them. So I've always taken the responsibility of that, you know, being a role model for the younger generation. and. And I'm super happy that, you know, we have Monica Puig uh, won a gold medal for Puerto Rico and she obviously came behind me and came in my footsteps. Um, and uh, we have three Puerto Rican women now that have Olympic gold medals. You know, Monica Puig, of course, won the gold medal for Puerto Rico in, in 2016, which was a very proud moment for all Puerto Ricans, her being the first Puerto Rican to win a gold medal representing Puerto Rico. And uh, Jasmine Camacho Quinn, who just won the gold medal at the last Olympics in Tokyo and the hurdles. So we have three Puerto Rican women with gold medals, and um, it's from you know coming from this tiny, tiny island. That's a very um, proud, proud moment for a lot of Puerto Ricans, and it's a, definitely a 
a sense of pride in the Puerto Rican community about the three uh, Olympic gold medalists for Puerto Rico. And the only challenge that I feel I faced when I was playing was that I was one of very few Hispanic women. I mean, it's one of the first ones. Uh, Mary Jo Fernandez came along a little bit after me. Um, Conchita Martinez and Arancha Sanchez were uh, about 10 years after me. So, um, so there was no really, um, you know, like camaraderie that you can have with other athletes of your same country when you're, you know, you, when you're, you know, like for example, the Spaniards, they're all always hanging out together. They're all from Spain. Obviously they connect on that. Uh, the Americans kind of tend to hang out. The Australians kind of tend to hang out. So I was uh, not only the only Puerto Rican, but I was also the only Hispanic. So it was good, kind of isolating at times. And, um, but it's, you know, it's funny because when you're going through something like that, you don't really dwell on it. And you don't really know that there's anything different or wrong about it. It's, it's kind of like looking back, I wish that I had had that. Uh, I wish that there'd been other Hispanic girls that I could have connected with. It didn't weigh on me at the time because, you know, when you're an athlete, you're so focused on competing and, and reaching your goals. So you can't dwell on things that um, sort of aren't that, aren't based on your meeting your goals or getting being better as an athlete. So the best advice I ever got was to learn to detach from the outcome. So um, that came during a Wimbledon final where um, we were in a rain delay and we were losing 4-1, two breaks to um, a team that we we were, didn't want to lose to. And we, we came off the rain delay and my coach said I needed to detach from the outcome because I was so invested in wanting to win that, that beat them and win Wimbledon that I, it was affecting my performance. So he kind of talked me through what I needed to do to be able to detach from the outcome. And, and that actually became my career motto. Like for my, after that, because I ended up, we were down for one, two breaks. And we, when we came back from the rain delay, we only lost one more game and won that 6-4, 6-1. It was my first Wimbledon title. And from that point on, that was my career motto. Every time that I had an important match or an important moment or a, you know, semifinals, finals of a Grand Slam, that's all I kept telling myself. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't matter if you win or lose. So when you get so into it and you think it's so important, but when it comes down to it, you know what he said to me was like, it's not going to change your life. If you win this match, you lose this match. Tomorrow morning, your parents are going to love you the same. You're going to wake up, have two arms and two legs, and, and you know, you're still a Wimbledon finalist. You, you have next year to try to win Wimbledon. So try to not give it so much importance. And that was incredible advice. Well, the worst thing somebody ever said to me before a match, and I was a coach that I had a very short-lived relationship with, um, it was the 95, I believe, Australian Open quarterfinals. And Natasha and I never lost before the semis until this match. And before I went on the court, my coach said, my, my coach, that should not have been my coach, he was my hitting partner. And he decided that he was going to try to advise me. And he said to me, do you know that you've lost to Arancha Sanchez Vicario nine times in a row? And he said that an hour before I was about to go play her. <laughs> so. I was like, oh my God, no, I did not know that. And guess what I did? Of course, I went and lost for the 10th time in a row. And then, then of course I fired him right away. And that's not something you want to tell someone before they go on the court. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't overcome that. It was, uh, sometimes it's better not to say anything, you know, to, to a player right before they're going on the court, just kind of stay quiet. If you don't have some great advice, don't, don't give it. <laughs> No, I would never let him know they've lost nine times in a row. I would say, you know, maybe we'll do this. Let's try this for this match. Why don't we try to be more aggressive?
try to come in more, maybe switch sides or uh, maybe let's get an early lead. Let's try to get up on her right away. Don't try not to like, you know, start slow, like super, let's get the intensity up and get a quick start. And But I would never tell a player, you just lost nine times in a row to someone <laughs> because chances are they're going to lose the 10th time. Yeah. There's definitely a lot more diversity in culture now than there used to be. There's a lot of more emphasis on diversity and inclusion in the world as a whole. And also the world is more global. Like, right, you know, you can, with social media and internet and computers and cell phones, um, we're all very connected globally. You know, when I turned pro, there was no cell phones. So I would, and there was just starting to have fax machines. So when I would, you know, I would travel and I would send my parents a, a document, like a handwritten document that I would mail to them. And I would say, okay, here's the next five hotels I'm staying at. And here's the fax numbers and the phone numbers of those hotels. If you need to reach me in, you know, Moscow, this is the hotel I'm staying at. And that's how we, how we connected. So it was very isolating in that sense, which is why it would have been nice to have that community of, you know, of other Hispanic um, kind of compadres, you know, but we didn't have that. So, um, so now it's easier, better, whatever you want to call it, in a way, social media is the good and the bad. The good is it helped, you know, the, we're so connected and it's so easy to stay in contact with, you know, FaceTime, your, my mom from across the world. There was none of that when I was, when I was uh, playing tennis. My proudest moment as an athlete was carrying the Puerto Rican flag into the Pan Am Games in 1983, into Caracas, Venezuela. So that was my, one of my proudest moments um, as, a, as an individual to represent, you know, six million Puerto Ricans that live throughout the globe, carry the, the, the flag into the, into the arena. Uh, as far as tennis goes, um, the gold medals are my proudest accomplishment, particularly the first one. The, fir you know, the first time you do something, it's pretty cool. The second time, there's pressure. <laughs> You're trying to defend. Um, but the setting around the first match, we were playing the Spaniards in Spain. There was 12,000 people in the stadium and it was, you know, it was packed. They were all ro mostly rooting for them, but it's still the atmosphere was electrifying. And it's the biggest crowd I think I've played, played in front of. And uh, it was a great match. Tennis is a sport of a lifetime. You know, I struggle. Right now, I, I'm struggling with my kids on this same subject because they play football and soccer, American football and, and uh, football, European football, soccer. Um, and they play baseball and they play lacrosse and they play, you know, all these sports that they're not going to play when they, any moment past, you know, 18 or maybe 21 if they play in college. But, you know, tennis is a sport for a lifetime. You will play tennis. You can play tennis for the rest of your life. It's one of the few sports where you uh, exercise your whole body, upper and lower. You know, soccer is very lower body dominated. Um, you know, swimming is really the only other sport where you use your whole body, upper and lower. Um, so as far as exercise, it's and to stay healthy and fit, it's, it's it's a great great activity. Swimming, of course, is very isolating. You know, you're in a pool going back and forth. So there's no social element. Tennis is a social game. Some of the best friends that I've made since retiring are came from my tennis um, endeavors. Past after retiring, like I when I was playing, um, did not make a lot of friends. You know, while I was on tour, because mostly they're my competitors. So there was always that kind of a little bit of aloofness or a little bit of separation that you have to make from from your your friends because you could compete against them. But some of my best friends now have I have made through tennis. So it's a, a month to celebrate the achievements of Hispanics globally, you know. And I'm uh, honored to be doing this interview this month. I appreciate you asking me to be here. Uh, I feel like I carry the torch, you know, for Hispanics in tennis. 
um, one of one of many players, of course, now that that do that, and uh, and and it's important to give back and to let other people know that, or the Hispanics know that, um, and kids that are listening know that you can uh, set goals and reach your dreams regardless of where you came from. You know, I, I grew up in an island that had you know not a lot of great coaching and not a lot of, not a lot of great um, role models or mentors but I had a goal to be a professional tennis player or someone said to me that they thought I could be a professional tennis player and, and I just followed my passion because that's what I loved. I loved playing tennis and ended up having a very successful career. So, so it's, you know, it's an important month to celebrate the achievements of not just you know, tennis players, but Hispanics in general. Yes, for those of you who don't know or forgot or just need the reminder, Tennis Pal, greatest app you could put on your phone. It's available for iPhones, Androids, any phone. Just go to your app store, Tennis Pal, and it's a great place for you to find people to play tennis with. There's videos with instruction. You can find instructors you can, or coaches. Uh, if you're, you can't meet in person, they can. you can find like a video coach, someone who can virtually coach you. It's just a great tool. They even have message boards where you can look. It's almost like a social media for, for tennis. Um, post with your fellow community members when you're playing and how you're doing. And it's just great fun. It's the best app out there. And we're so happy that they sponsor us.